This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. He's accurated for Rob Breckenridge, 770-CHQR, uh, 974-8255. I can't keep up with your text messages after that conversation with Bobby Verrock. ActionAlberta.ca is the website. Uh, we are going to talk more about that coming up, so please do um, uh, please do share your thoughts, send in your text messages, and if you want to call it in and talk about that, we are going to do that. Love the conversation, too. First, though, the other end of that is the solution that's been presented in front of us. Mark Winfield joins me right now, professor of environmental studies, York University's. How are you doing, Mark? Uh, good afternoon. I'm doing well. Thank good. You. I'm calling you the train guy. Is that okay? Uh, that's fine, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> old, old antiquated uh, systems that have been updated and updated and updated, the solutions for so many things. So I don't know where you're most comfortable taking this, Mark. I know that an awful lot of the audience wants to talk about trains and oil and all those things. When we've had three trains go off the tracks um, recently, let's just start there. What is the status of this stuff, and why is it happening? Well, I think I think that's a good question, and I think it's got it's on a lot of people's minds, and and particularly, of course, in the context of the Lac Megantic disaster, and uh, the government of Canada, the Transport Canada, basically said that they had revised the rules uh, post Lac Megantic to try and prevent these sorts of things happening, and yet we seem to be seeing very very similar accidents, particularly the one in Field uh, had a number of very eerie similarities to what happened. In Lac Megantic. So it, it begs questions about, well, have, have the changes to the rules that have been made really been adequate? Uh, and that takes on a more kind of acute hue, um, given that the amount of uh, crude to rail traffic, amount of oil being transported by rail, seems to be going way, way up again. It sort of dropped off quite a bit post-Lac Megantic. It's partially a function of market conditions in the oil market. Uh, but the last year or so, those numbers have been drifting back up quite dramatically. And so it begs the questions about, well, you know, so far we've been, we've been lucky. Uh, um, well, you can't say that for the poor, poor people who are on the train and field, but um, these accidents have happened in relatively remote areas, so the amount of collateral damage is, has been small, and some of the others have been less severe. Um, but the big question on people's minds is, well, is, are, are the rules that we have adequate? And given that we're having these kinds of accidents, it begs the question, um, are they or are they not? And what is Transport Canada doing? Well, it doesn't seem to be. I mean, when the Black Megantic, I always get it wrong, sorry. Um, when, the, the, when the gas train blew up, uh, there was a brake issue, right? It was yep. a conversation around braking. And then yep. yet again, in field, it's a conversation around braking. Well, it was it was very much the same issue. Um, it was in particular about securing trains on slopes, uh, and particularly around the application of the handbrakes. And as it turned out, although in theory the rules were tightened uh, post Lac Megantic in the case of the field accident, the handbrakes had not been applied. Uh, so it did it did 
begs exactly this question about, well, are the rules that we've adopted adequate? After the field accident, both Transport Canada and CP Rail, CP Rail first and then Transport Canada effectively confirmed it, tightened the rules around application of handbrakes on slopes, but then it's also now been reported in the Globe and Mail and other places that CP is now pushing back on those rules again. So it, it does suggest that we've got quite a bit further to go in terms of setting the rules around these things. But I think I think the bigger question, at least in my mind and in many other people's mind, is is more fundamental about the relationship between Transport Canada as the safety regulator and the railways who who largely operate in a in a self regulatory space, uh, particularly on safety issues. Well, policing, it, I mean, that they've got their own police. Yep. Right. That's yep. that's how that's how sort of sovereign it seems to be. Well, there is there is a long history uh, with CNNCP. Um, our concern has been more focused specifically on the safety regulations issues, uh, where the the system that we have um, largely leaves the railways to regulate themselves. Indeed, to some degree, they they in fact to a considerable degree, they write their own rules. And those are subject to Transport Canada approval, but it's, it gives them a, a tremendous amount of autonomy. And, and uh, I a lot of people, and it's not just been me, it's been the Auditor General of Canada, the Transportation Safety Board, uh, the House of Commons Standing Committee on Transportation, uh, Communities and Infrastructure, uh, have all been raising questions about is, is the level of oversight that Transport Canada is providing good enough? And are the rules behind that strong enough and these events tend to suggest that the answer to the both of those questions is no that the regulator needs to be much more aggressive in dealing with the railways and the rules around these sorts of things need to be much stronger well as your job of environmental studies are trains safe and smart to take things like oil it's it's a complicated question. Um, I mean, any movement of transport of dangerous goods is going to carry risk with it. Uh, the alternatives, you know, moving by road, is is got to, you know, probably cannot possibly deal with the volumes that are involved. Uh, the concerns at this stage have been they're more specific in the sense that. Um, you know, we, we've made a basic decision that, yeah, we're going to allow for movement of trans- dangerous goods by rail. Um, there have been concerns that in some ways doing it by rail is an attractive option because the level of oversight is less than if you do it by road. Um, but then more specifically, particularly in the aftermath of Lac Megantic, uh, there have been concerns, again, about the braking rules, about whether train braking systems are really up to date in terms of where they could be. I mean, the basic technology is now nearly 150 years old. Um, there have been questions, too, about the tank car fleets uh, that they were supposed to be replaced, and we did, in fact, do an upgrade after Black Megantic to get rid of what were called the DOT-111 cars. But then we discovered the substitutes that we supposedly upgraded versions didn't work they're marginally better in accidents, but not that much. So we're still looking at 2025 before there's a complete turnover in the tank car fleet. So all of those things give rise to concerns, particularly if, if then we're in the situation now where we're starting to see uh, tank cars basically pulled off storage racks and, and put back into service because the, the volumes are going up again. Um, you, you have to worry about these things, uh, that, that whether the, the, the rules are really strong enough and whether or not 
the regulators have really taken enough away from the catastrophe in Lac Megantic to make sure we don't have something like that happen again. When the Alberta province says that they're going to buy X, you know, oil cars, yeah, um, I'm assuming you can't just go to Amazon and buy those. So where, well, where do they where, where where would they come from? Would these be you, cars that would come out of storage, or would they be new cars? Well, that's that's a good question, um, and it, it's not been clear to me from Premier Notley's comments about exactly what would be the case. I think for for them to materialize on the scale that she seems to be talking about, um, they're more likely to be leased, and they're more likely to be um, taken out of storage. Um, I think one needs to seek clarification on that because it. I mean, these you you can't produce 120,000 rail cars overnight. Um, um, it takes time to manufacture a new car. So you may see something like an initial use of older units and then a phasing in of new construction. That would be a clarification would be important to get. But it's, it's not ideal because if you're pulling older units in, um, we basically already know that they're not really good enough um, that we've seen even the, the sort of postal Lac Megantic update cars in accidents and we've seen them leak uh, we need the new build cars really to, to have some greater confidence in what, what might happen some of the uh, some of the crashes and derailments uh, the, you know there was the one west of Banff uh, just west yeah. of Banff that was mostly grain I believe yeah. there was yeah. near field where um, the three gentlemen passed away which is Daniel Waldenberger Bulmer Andrew Dockrell and Dylan Parody uh, I think it matters to say their names I really do yep. Um, yep. and uh, then there is the the one that happened in Golden though that was on the bridge and those were diesel cars that was like a near miss if ever yeah. Yeah. So it's crazy. Yeah, no, no, it's it's um in the situation again raises concerns about you know, are the standards adequate? Is the oversight adequate? I mean, there are a lot of concerns when I've talked to um, people who are more on the front lines of this. There's also a lot of concern about fatigue on the part of the train crews as well. I mean, particularly if you're in the mountain subdivision where field is, I mean it's it's a very it's a very arduous situation in terms of weather conditions requires very high levels of skill in handling the train and what they're saying to me is you know that they're they're just being pushed everything is just being pushed to the max all the time the people and the equipment and and that's that's potentially a recipe for disaster because um, you're not leaving very much margin in terms of the people trying to do the job to make sure that everything is in place. And this has been raised as an issue with the field accident in particular because it happened at a handover, um, whether the necessary checks were all done and things were, were in place as they were supposed to be. Uh, that is a factor, too, but all of it goes back to is the regulator setting appropriate rules and is it enforcing them or is it leaving the railways far too much space to set the rules for themselves? And their incentive is just to maximize production as much as possible. Mark Winfield, Professor of Environmental Studies, York University. Thank you so much, Mark. Great. Thank you very much. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.